It's Tuesday, it's the 11th of July, it's just gone midday. Welcome into Afternoons with Steffi, myself and Robinho of Wimbledon fame is uh, in the producer's booth with us today. Oh, it's just stories galore, stories galore. But I want to reminisce in the first hour. I want to reminisce and I want you to reminisce with all of our listeners. We're going to be talking Renfrewly Shield. The Renfrewly Shield is on the line tomorrow as Wellington head up State Highway 1 through Transmission Gully. Slow down through Te Horo and Manukau. Um, weave their way past the Kimberley turn off for the alternate way to go up through Tokamaru, Shannon and Palmerston North. And they carry on straight. And they go into Levin and they stop the bus and they get off and they say, Hello, Horo Fanua Kavati, we've brought the shield with us. Try and take it off us. I want shield memories from you. We love reminiscing, we love nostalgia. I could probably talk for an hour on Ranfilly Shield Nostalgia, but I want you to. Very, very shortly. Uh, about an hour ago, I caught up with the head coach of Horror for Nua Kapiti, Aleni Fienginga, and he is excited. He's excited. These new caps, um, very proud union, small union, Heartland union, but they applied. Well, I guess they applied, and Wellington said, yep, yep, we'll take it on the road. And we'll put it up for you guys to win. Horofanua Kapiti, oh, Shield Challenge. It's getting real. Provincial rugby's getting real. So share us soon with your Ram Shield stories. Please, please, for that first hour after um, I've played you out the chat I've already had with Eleni about an hour ago. Uh, second hour, Justin Nelson, very well known in basketball circles. We've got the Toihi New Zealand Women's Basketball League Tipping off tomorrow night, there's some innovations, there's some big-name players, NBA players coming, uh, WNBA players coming to New Zealand. Quite an interesting format that I need explained with a, is it called a rapid, a rapid round or something like that, which sounds exciting. They've increased the foul count. It's awesome. Um, and that gets underway tomorrow. So Justin Nelson, who's done so much to develop the game, develop the broadcast around the world for basketball, both men's and women's in New Zealand. Uh, he's also the host of Hoopheads alongside Casey Frank um, on SENZ here during the week as well. Uh, we'll also have Ravinho's, um it's award-winning now, uh, his Wimbledon rap. And um, just I walked in, and the first thing he talked to me about this morning at about quarter to nine this morning was Wimbledon. It's just like he's just changed. He's a changed man. He's loving the grass of Wimbledon courts. <laughs> He'll also tell us what's making news. And then uh, by popular demand, and I can't remember the name of the person that texted in. Texted, who was it? Pete? Are we thinking Pete? Um, last week he said, you've got to get Michaela Rowe, who runs um, Kawi Girls. And then he texted in again yesterday. So we're getting Michaela Rowan, who runs a um, motorbike education, fun type thing for young girls. Uh, apparently an amazing program. So we're putting it to the test. Two o'clock, Michaela Rowe. Looking forward to 
talking to her about that and get your thinking cap on about your holiday programs that you're putting your kids through at the moment because this is one of the things that Kawi Girls does, gets young girls onto motocross bikes and just go trail riding and dirt bike riding, which sounds pretty cool. So that's later on in the show, and we'll have a look back in the day as well. But it's Ramfurly Shield time. Wellington Lions are taking up the hallowed log of wood to Levin. The Levin domain tomorrow will be packed around the outside. Um, a lot of the locals will get along there. Whorofanua Capital got a chance to win. Every team's got a chance to win in a two-horse race. I caught up with their head coach, Eleni, about an hour ago. Let's have a listen to that chat. Ramfurly Shield Rugby starts tomorrow in New Zealand. My favourite competition in all of rugby and having a first crack at it is Manawatu's neighbour, my Manawatu's neighbour, Horofenua Kapiti and head coach Eleni Fianga joins us. Eleni, all the excitement levels in Levin and the surrounds must be getting up to fever pitch. Oh, definitely, mate. Um, really exciting times for for the region. Um yeah, for for our for our, our boys that are taking the field tomorrow, uh, a lot of excitement um, about the shield um, and, and taking on the the, the lions. So, yeah, looking forward to it, mate. Looking forward to it. We've seen it for a few seasons, uh, for a number of years now. The the Ranfurly Shield holder takes it to the Heartland, which I absolutely love. I would love a Heartland team to come up and win it one day and uh, take it into the Heartland Championship and take it round the regions. How do you try and strategize to make that happen? Oh, look, we, we all know the, um, the challenges um, that we, we face uh, in terms of uh, the resources and personnel that we, we have in our uh, in comparison to the bigger unions. But oh, hey, that's part of us uh, why we play rugby, eh? Um, and we take on those challenges. Um, so for us, um, the big focus for us uh, for this uh, this year's campaign, but also for t- tomorrow's game, is just around um, our belief and our mentality. Uh, so focusing more about us um, and that we can. Um, if we can't, then there's no point in, in putting on that jersey and putting on our boots. That's the attitude. So big, big focus for us is just on our, our personal and our own um, team's mentality. How do you, it's sort of like you're having a final at the start of the season because you've got a, a really important Heartland campaign coming, but you've got potentially the union's biggest game of the year first up. Um, it, it, you can't build into this game. You've got to chuck it all out there tomorrow, <laughs> eh? Yeah, most definitely, mate. It would have been nice to have a bit of a, a, a warm-up uh, game prior to this one, but um, it is what it is, and... Yeah, I guess for us it's just throwing everything out there, uh, leaving it all on the field, so to speak. Um, it is the first time in 30 years since we we last hosted Auckland um, here. Um, and, and like you say, mate, uh, normally we'd be travelling down to the holders' uh, venue or field, but we've been really, really lucky that Wellington Rugby Union has um, you know, given us the uh, the opportunity to, to host uh, around Philly Shield, so we're, we're, we're one, very uh, lucky to uh, be given an opportunity, and then two, to actually host the game is even better, so um, again, a lot of excitement uh, about the game, uh, especially because we're hosting it here um, tomorrow. So. 
I hope there's a lot of businesses in Levin that have a sign up um, back in two hours uh, because you've got to get to the, the, the domain. And was that was that game thirty years ago? Was that the Carlos Spencer sixteen year old game and Graham Henry was coaching Auckland? He said, "Come up to me." Young. Yeah, that's that game, isn't it? Yes, that, that's that game. So um, yeah, um, where pretty much Carlos was um, identified, and then obviously from from there. Uh, went to play for Auckland, Auckland Blues, and everybody knows the history after that. <laughs> um, but yeah, so again, you don't know what opportunities um, are out there for everybody, and, and so for us, for us, just one being a part of history. And hey, you never say never, mate. We we're going to put our, our best foot forward and give it a good crack tomorrow, um, and, and do our best. Absolutely, you will. Absolutely, you will. Um... How's the club scene been for Horofanua Kapiti? Many, many, many years ago, uh, Eleni, I had my one and only premiership game of rugby for Shannon because I had a mate playing for them and I went to I went to watch and they only had two reserves and they got three injuries. So I spent 20 minutes on the wing and he said, you won't have to do anything. And boots that were too small for me, my first role 15 seconds into the game was to tackle a Rahui lock. So I wasn't that wasn't that happy. But what what is the club scene? How's it been um, in HK this this season? Yes, um, club scene's been, been, been very good, uh, to be honest, mate. Uh, Rahui, we're talking about Rahui, who you played back then for your, for your one game with Shannon. Um, Rahui are, are unbeaten at the moment. So they're going really strong. And hence why kind of reflected with the amount of boys um, who are caught into our HK squad uh, are from Rahui. So they're unbeaten at the moment. Um, and then the next uh, three or four teams been it's been a really tight battle to try and figure out who's going to be those uh, three remaining semi-final spots. Um, so off memory, I think Shannon, um, Foxton, uh, who play each other this weekend, will be a nice uh, possible there. And I think Parapurumi round out that, that fourth spot um, at the moment. So, yeah, I think this week, I'm uh, sorry, next weekend's last round. Um, no, apologies. This weekend's last round. Um, we'll, we'll kind of see where everybody fills out from that um, for semi-finals next weekend. So, so a lot's happening in, in around the, the club scene and community scene around here. So you've been assistant coach for HK uh, three years, 2029th. 2021 7th, 2022 6th, you're on the incline. <laughs> well, we're hoping so, mate. Um, we're hoping so. Like, it's exciting times for us. Um, this season, obviously, the, the Shield provides massive carrot for getting players involved um, and getting excited about Brick Footy. So, um, yeah, exciting times. Isn't it? How did the how did the Shield Challenge come about? Do they approach you? Do you approach them? Is it um, is it a link between Horafanua and Wellington's? You know, um, geographically, it's what are you? You're about yeah. you're an hour ten minutes from Wellington. How did it? How did you land the Shield Challenge? Uh, so uh, provincial unions are able to um, apply. Um, so the the holder has to. Uh, give a mandatory challenge to whoever the Meads Cup winners are the, the previous year, so this year's South Canterbury, um, and then they've got another challenge which they have to give to someone, and um, provincial unions have to apply, so we applied, um, and again, having a, a, a really good relationship with Wellington, um, yeah, they were able to grant us with that um, 
with that challenge. So, yeah, very, very um, blessed, I, I feel, that we've been given this opportunity from, from Wellington Rugby. Yeah, and you, any chance we might see a, another Carlos Spencer, another Cody Taylor, another Dane Coles on the park tomorrow when, when we're watching? I know coaches don't like to single players out, but who do you think that is, you've got in your team that is good quality but can get even better? Oh, yeah, well, to, be, to be honest, man, I'm pretty similar to those coaches that don't like to <laughs> identify um, players just because of like to jinx them um, tomorrow. But, um, oh, look, we've got, we've got a, a pretty new group. Um, and just offhand, we've got 12 debutants um, wow. in our 23 for tomorrow. So, um a lot of uh, new faces of which some of the community may not have seen in the jersey. Um, so exciting times for us. Exciting times for us. We've got a good, good balance. We've got a few old heads in there. Um, but a lot of new faces and a lot of young faces that are hoping we can develop um, and be that next group of uh, rep players coming through our, our team uh, over the next few years. The incredible thing is there's been 1,409 players have represented Horofanua Kapiti, 12 new ones tomorrow. That's blimmin' exciting. Uh, yeah, it is. It is. And exciting for the for those, uh, for those their clubs, exciting for themselves, but also for their whanau. So um, I know there'll be a lot of proud people uh, that will be attending tomorrow and see their... Um, see their players and see their loved ones uh, take the field against the, um, I would expect, the strong Lions team. Well, Eleni, you've been an important part of Horofanua Kapiti for a little while now. Um, it's the coup de grace tomorrow. It's the icing on the cake. I wish you all the very best. It'll be a spectacle at the Levin Domain. I know the locals will get around you and um, be very vociferous in their support. It's going to be a special day for your union. Uh, lap it up. Enjoy it. Um, thanks heaps for chatting to us today. Oh, thanks, Mark. Appreciate the opportunity, and um, hopefully the boys will will make us proud tomorrow. Yes, Eleni Fianginga there, who is the head coach of Horofanua Kapiti. A big, big day for rugby, provincial rugby, particularly Levin, Foxton, Shannon, the outer-lying areas of the Nua, as it's affectionately known. Give me a yell. 0800-150-811. In fact, we've got a call already. Let's take it right now. He's a great provincial rugby man, Ed. Welcome in, Ed. Kia ora. I've got a question for you, then I'll talk about Hall of Fame. Yep. Hey, does the East Coast get a shot at the Shield Challenge because they won the Lacour Cup? No, I think it's the Meads Cup gets the challenge, which is South Canterbury. Oh, okay. But I'll tell you what, all my um, all my nieces have been throwing up photos of bubbles. Graham Hurnu? so we remember Yes, correct. Mm. Yeah, because yeah, it must be his anniversary and stuff because we're just having a lot of stories. Well, there's a great player for Hall of Fame. Yes, and he played for Manawatu and he might have played for Wellington as well. Oh, he's played for a few cups. Shannon. Shannon. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Now now you bring me back to playing against Hall of Fame. So hopefully that coach knows old Graham Huranui and all his father and Shannon. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. And then they'll... And the Houston's. Ooh. And the Lawson's. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, and, oh, yeah, and old Carlos. Carlos didn't come to the place when we played him. <laughs> there it is. Good on you, Ed. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Steffi. See ya. See ya, boy. Um, Graham's on the line. G'day, Graham. 
G'day, mate. How are you? Oh, I'm excited. Provincial rugby's nearly here. I know, I know. In first quarter, mate, Graham Hurunui, he played for Freiburg. And the man two. Did he? When I was managing him. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was managing him for Freiburg. He, he, played, he played a few games for Freiburg, mate, or a seasonal save. Um, I was going to say, let's, um, let's um, say two stories here. One's going to be very short, sharp, and you know what I'm going to mention. Shall I not mention it? Someone else has already texted it, mate. Way you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't need to mention it, do we? No. But on a more positive thing, um, when Wellington had it um, back in 2008, we had a punting syndicate down at um, Tracksdale with Tony Lee and all that. Yep. And um, Des Coppins and, um, and um, Jamie Joseph and um, um, Tony Mulo Sr. Um, and there was 10 of us in it. And... Um, we uh, we had a pretty good uh, pretty good season on the punt. We had over thirty thousand in the pool, Ooh. so we decided to have a lunch, and we were all getting a, um, a nice little TAB voucher for just over three grand each. So we got in there for lunch, and, and um, Jamie Joseph, who's I have to say, he's one of the bloody nicest guys you'll ever meet in the world. I'm telling you, he's mm. a fantastic man. Um, Tony and um, Jamie arrives, and he goes, have "We got an extra seat at the table because I bought a mate." And he arrives with the Renfrewly Shield at this lunch. <laughs> <laughs> so we've been chucking it. We've got 10, 10, 10 um, seats around this table for lunch. And um, we started in an 11th chair, and the Renfrewly Shield was a guest for lunch. And we all had our photos with the Shield. It was amazing. Magnificent. I love that. I love that. It's got a, it's got a personality. Yeah. For a piece of wood, it's got personality. Oh, it is, mate, and it's got, it's like it's got an aura too, you know, you look at it and you, whoa, you feel it. It yeah. is a very, very worthy shield or trophy in New Zealand, I'm telling you it is. Yeah, you can't beat history, you cannot beat history. Um, good on your face, good to talk to you, buddy. Go Wellington, go Wellington. <laughs> go Wellington, you can't say that, go with the door. Good on you, mate. <laughs> See you, mate. Um, give us a yell, 0800 150 The other stories we love, the Ranfurly Shield stories. Come on, Southlanders, Hawks Bayers, Cantabrians, Manawatuvians, Taranakians, Waikato. Give us a yell about your Ranfurly Shield stories. 0800 150 We'll take your calls after this. Let's have a chat to Joey. G'day, Joey. Yeah, g'day, Steph. Yeah, the, the old Arthur Stone intercept, mate. Oh. Uh, on a Sunday after Eden Park, he got it, and Mike Mills chased them all the way and, and tackled them, I think, right on the line. I think they won 13 12. Aucklander in those days, obviously, you know, we were going pretty good. And um, and so, you know, Waikato were a good side. And uh, to see that happen to us, it was uh, devastation, mate, you know. And you could hear the cowbells, and then afterwards, they were, I mean, it was just unbelievable the celebrations they had. But um, to see them get that intercept, and um, obviously, those days, too, uh, Mike Mills, he played for Takapuna because there was no one um, North Harbour. Uh-huh. So Auckland were, were North Shore as well. And uh, he was second five eight. I don't know who threw the pass, but um, he held um, Arthur Stone. You know, it's fantastic, though. The Shield's just brilliant, isn't it? I mean, oh. it just brings it brings the whole... It doesn't matter where you're from, Kapiti Coast or, or whatever. And it's fantastic. I, I love it when the, the big, the big um, teams take it away. You know, down to the, the uh, smaller sides and, and that, you know, because um, everyone goes to watch and it, it's just a buzz. And, you know, they may probably think that, that, you know, they go out to win, obviously, but, you know, they know that, that the chances of them getting it 
um, are a little bit slim, but hey, you know, it brings everyone together and the Ramsey Shield's unbelievable, mate. It's, it's just it's, it's an icon in New Zealand rugby. Fantastic. Yeah, it brings communities together. And I think last year we spoke to the Thames Valley coach before their challenge. And, of course, South Canterbury had a challenge and gave it a red-hot go early on in that game as well. And the communities for, like in Levin and um, all around the place that get these cracks at it, they all come out and go and watch it. And then teams that actually win it, we've seen what it does to Hawke's Bay and Southland and Taranaki, etc. when they win it, it's... It's just, it's something that, it's immeasurable. Yeah, it makes it makes these sides that do win it stuff, it makes them better. You know, and it also makes, it makes probably players that, that are playing in, in the um, bigger unions, oh, I can go down, just for example, Manawatu or Hawke's Bay or, or um, you know, down there or Tasman, and uh, I can play there because, you know, uh, they've got the shield or, or, or whatever, you know, um, and, and you, all of a sudden, you just see those sides that have been struggling a little bit, all of a sudden rise. I mean, look at look at Hawks Bay. I mean, Hawks Bay held on it for a hell of a long time, you know, until they got beat, you know, and and, and they, they played really good rugby. Mm. You know, it's just great. Mate. I love it. Fantastic. Mm. All right, mate, we'll let you go, but listen in because uh, the great man Rubinio, he's found the audio for the Arthur Stone try. So we'll get nostalgic. Oh, okay, that'll be fantastic, mate. And um, as you know, Steph, you know, get the mighty turbos. turbos. Yeah, boy. Can't wait for them to turn up, mate. Yes. Go All right, on. bud. Okay, Good on you, Joe. We'll play that. You hold on there, Zaid. After the news, uh, we'll get Zaid and you can join in as well. Ranfilly Shield Memories, 0800 150 811. But taking us to the news, the mighty. Oh, has he got it ready? Have you got it ready, Robbie? I just saw you hustle. You have? Okay. Arthur Stone's try. Waikato, Auckland. Done away again to Harris. Here he is passing the ball. Sutherland up from fullback. Well caught by Stone. This is Twigden. That was intercepted by Stone. And has he got the legs? Arthur Stone! He's just having a go. Now that is a great try for 19-year-old Arthur Stone. 0800 150 Shield memories. Oh, there's some buttes rolling in on the text machine, but we'll take the calls first. Zaid, the life member. G'day, Zaid. Have I got well, you, Zaid? Start again. Hello? Yeah, start again. I was more kind of calling up and asking when Auckland's last ever time they actually won the Shield was, because I can't remember. I think from memory, Ken texted the other day saying they haven't had a Shield challenge for seven years, I think Ken said. He'll, he'll let me know. But um, <laughs> a long time. I think, I think all the Shield... Yeah, that Auckland did win was probably before I was alive. So, I mean, they won it in a while, really. <laughs> <laughs> I think they won it more than the 90s, pretty much, didn't they, when Auckland was dominant? Yeah, they had it. I think they've had it for the longest single tenure in memory. And that would have been bought back in the 90s, yeah? Yeah, I'm just hurriedly looking it up for you, Zaid. Uh, I, I, I know it's not a Ranfilly Shield moment, but my favourite Auckland moment is that... Um, final they had against Canterbury, I think it was 2018, and they won an extra time against Canterbury at Eden Park. Ah, right. So, so Auckland had it in 2007 for five games, uh, and nothing more recent than that, 2003 for two games, 1996 for six games, and then 1985 for 61 games. 
pretty pretty lean lean periods then. <laughs> it is, mate. It is. Two thousand and seven. That's like fifteen years ago. I know. You would have been four. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh well, I hope no, you. Get, no. I hope you get to experience having the shields, aid because it's like nothing else. Yeah. So no, no memory. Sorry about the shield. <laughs> That's all right. We'll <laughs> <laughs> be later. Thank you. Cheers, buddy. There is aid. Uh, so the most successful defences in Ranfurly Shield history: Auckland, 148; Canterbury, 139; Waikato, 60; Wellington, 40; Hawke's Bay, 72. Oh, this isn't in order. Hawke's Bay 72, uh, then Waikato 60, Taranaki 48, uh, Wellington 40, Otago 38, Southland 25, and then the only ones in double figures left are Northland with 14, Manawatu 13, Wairarapa Bush 10. There you go, County 6, North Harbour 3. Oh, Ranfurly Shield memories. Let's go back to the phones uh, where we've got Darren and Napier. G'day, Darren. G'day, Steph. How's it? Good, buddy. Yeah, I'm just ringing up about memories of the Ranfurly Shield. Yeah, you'll have some good ones in the bay. Yeah, yeah, got a, oh, yeah, got a few. Um, one that sticks in my mind is when I was a, a kid, um, I must have been age 10 or 11, my last year of primary school, uh, the teacher I had was uh, Mrs. Greg, and she suggested um, the dominant Auckland team of that era uh, were coming to play at the Hawks Bay. Yeah. She suggested I uh, write a letter and uh, see if they wanted to come uh, to the Auckland Rugby and come to our school. Yeah. So I handed a letter and uh, they replied back and they came along. It was like the star-studded team, like, you know, Iceman, JK, Tootsie, Zinzan. Zinzan actually hopped on a... Lindsay and actually when we uh, walked out, he hopped the classic, hopped on a horse, had a turn on a horse as he does. <laughs> but, but um, yeah, it was that era where Auckland were dominant. I think they'd won in '85 or whatever, and then they lost to um, Waikato '93. Yeah, yeah. That's but it. but my, yeah, so so they came to our school. It was so cool, you know. Got to meet the players, did a hucker for them and stuff <laughs> as you do. Yeah. And, uh, but. Yeah, and they oh, it was so cool! I got to carry the shield out from the from the assembly hall to the bus, so that was real cool. That's awesome. Yeah, it was. It was, it was only like ten or eleven <clears> at the time, but a yeah. uh, <laughs> bit of a reality check the next day when we played. I think they it was like eighty points to thirteen or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! But, uh, but we had um, you know, because like, oh, growing up, I didn't get you know that age. Hawks was second division, mm. so it was. Yeah, yeah, it was a bit, but stink, but we still had a good team, you know. Norm Hewitt, or Katie's Crawford, um, Dustin Watts, Dallas Seymour, Gordon Falcon. Oh, Gordon Falcon! You want hard men? There's Gordon Falcon. Yeah, I wish that uh, wish the um, meatworks didn't shut. That's why he signed for Penrith. Ah, is that what it was? Well, it was around that era, you know. <laughs> it was before um, rugby went professional, so. Oh, that's awesome. That is a great call, Darren. Great memories. Thank you. Yeah, no. Thanks, thanks, Steph. Thanks for calling, buddy. What a call that is. Um, yeah, they had it. Uh, if I just look back, i just go back to that period. Where was it? 80, oh, he said 93. 80, Auckland had it for eight years, 61 defences. Lost it to Waikato. They held it for five. Lost it to Canterbury. They held it for nine. Lost it to Auckland. Three defences. 
Taranaki, one defence. Waikato, one defence. Oh, memories. So excited. Graham in Christchurch. G'day, Graham. G'day, Steffi. How are you, mate? G- good, thanks, bud. Yeah, yeah, no, I've got, um, you know, so many. But, um, yeah, obviously, the one that always there at the 82, 85 era when Alex Wiley was the coach of Canterbury, I was a teenager. And, um, you know, that was just, just so, they were like, you know, war. You know, it was like war, and you know, not just people going about Auckland Canterbury, but it was when Wellington played here, and they had, you know, Alan Hewson and Stu Wilson, Bernie Fraser, and you know, we had Craig Green and the Deans brothers and Wayne Smith and um, oh, Dale Atkins. Listen to yeah, the names. And that, oh, and that, and you know, Manawatu came here, and they named it the Alex Wiley Stadium because it was right <laughs> at the last challenge, and they nearly took it, and they had Frank Oliver and Gary Knight and. Um, Bruce Hemer and Mark Donaldson, they were, you know, half of them were all blacks. Yeah. And, you know, and they, they, they nearly, Canterbury had thrashed Auckland the week, the week before. And, you know, they nearly did it. You know, Bay of Plenty, I remember in 84, and they took the shield off as, you know, <laughs> um, that was a very close game, 18 13 or something, the score. But, you know, it was during the day, and it was 2.35, called to three kickoffs. And, you know, it only rained a couple of times, actually. <laughs> In that era, I mean, the midweek game against Mid Canterbury, it poured down, and another, and Hawks Bay played here. <laughs> Funnily enough, you're just talking about the Bay quite a bit, you know. And a guy, we killed a magpie, which is not a, probably a lot of people wouldn't like that nowadays. We dragged it around the park, and you know, <laughs> it was symbolic of you know, poor old Hawks Bay. But you know, magpie, but it was it meant in good jest. But you know, that was 1983. That's 40 years ago, you know, and that that particular season. Uh, just stood out for me, you know. But you know that Wiley era was just so. Um, a lot of any everyone that went through that will always go back to that as being one of their favourites. Isn't it amazing uh, that it's forty years ago, but it's still imprinted in your memory? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I can you know remember those teams you know that we played against. You know, it wasn't just the two or three other teams that you know people talk about now. It was you know other teams would come along in a midweek match and. Give you a fright. Mid Canterbury gave us a, a hurry up a couple of weeks before Auckland took the shield. Mid Canterbury nearly tipped Canterbury over. They played terribly. And, um, you know, people would forget about that. <laughs> you know, Bruce Dean's got a try, and I think it just saved it, you know. And then we we lost it to that, that Auckland team that then held it for eight years, of course. You know, um, looked like they, it was like they were never going to lose it, actually. Mm. <laughs> But yeah, '94 when Mertz got the goal against Otago too. That was a the next decade. That was the highlight. You know, another great highlight because you know David Latter yes. got penalised. Controversial, that, that, yes. Yeah, it was. Yeah, we. Yeah, they didn't like. Um, yeah, what, what was it? The referee Colin Hawke was Colin the ref. Hawke. Yeah. yeah, yeah, not like down south and you know south of the Waitaki River. Yeah, <laughs> but we loved them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I bet you did. I bet you did, mate. Great call. Thanks for taking the time. No worries. Have a good afternoon, mate. Cheers, buddy. Oh, great call. Oh, the Canterbury Days. We go to Jace. G'day, Jace. Oh, kia ora, Staffy. How you going, mate? Oh, I'm really good. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, I'm loving the uh, the chat about the old Rampilly Shield. I've got two things for you, Staffy. Uh, one of them, I actually was born in uh, Middlemore in Auckland, but raised in Levin. Oh. So um, I'm really looking forward to... Uh, yeah, to the Nua, um, getting their shot. Um, yeah, no, very familiar with, uh, well, as you would be, being a Shannon boy, but, um, you know, Queen Street, Oxford Street, all of that sort of stuff. Don't there. forget um, Stafford Street. 
Stafford Street, that's the one. But no, I'm looking forward to that, Staffy. And my, my little uh, recollections of the Ranfilly Shield growing up, um, I had a, a Fano who played for Otago, and uh, he was on the wing for Otago when they challenged Auckland on Eden Park in 1988. And he scored an intercept try, actually, against that star-studded New Zealand, pretty much the All Blacks yeah. side. Um, they would have been way over the salary cap if they had one back then. <laughs> but um, that that was his thing. It was like a... It was it put them in the lead, too. I think it was, you know, just a little lead over that star-studded team. Um, he played with, like, I think it was Mike Brewer was in that side, and um, it was coached by Laurie Maines. Um, but, yeah, that's my big memory. It was great for the Fano to see him on the big stage. What was his name? And, um, yeah, uh, Noel Pilcher. He was um, a left winger right. for them. It, it was a great, I think it was, yeah, it was a great, it was brilliant. And he nearly got a second try um, after it. He was brought down by some some nobody named Frank Bunce. But, um, you know, it was all that type of all that type of stuff, you know. You were just running into Steve McDowell and, you know, uh, Bernie McCarthy was in there. And you know, it was just that classic, those classic Kiwi all-black names from, from the 80s. Oh, I love it. I love it. Oh, brilliant. We've got to move on. Really appreciate your call, though, buddy. Cheers. Cheers, mate. Uh, Cheers. We'll, take, we'll take a quick break. We've got Brett. We've got Paul coming up after the break. Ramfilly Shield memories. Brett from Huntley. G'day, Brett. There's some Ramfilly Shield games that I don't remember, Steph, because I was that wasted when we won it. <laughs> Especially being on the terraces at Eden Park. <laughs> oh, you were at that game? I was at the 96 game. Right. Um, uh, I was still at school at the, the, 90, the 93 game um, when they won it then. That is my greatest ever rugby day. Um I wasn't at Eden Park, I was still at school, but our school won top four final that same day. And then we listened to that Shield game on the radio on the on the bus back oh, to school. How awesome is that? <laughs> and uh, I think my my proudest moment, though, is uh, in the 2015, I had uh, previously coached three boys in the Waikato team at schoolboy level that beat Hawks Bay uh, that was the Brad Webber-led Waikato team that beat Hawks Bay in the last game of the year. Oh. Where all the, all the Hawks Bay people got upset at Brad Webber for stealing the shield off them. <laughs> and Waikato had had a rubbish year that, that season. And um, the week before, we had been belted by counties at home. And I I went on to the field after that counties game, and the three boys that I'd previously coached were pretty despondent. And, and I told them, I said, you got a chance to make history next week. And uh, they won the shield. And when they had a parade afterwards, the three of them saw me all come and grab me. And they said, you said we could do it, bro. You said we could do it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. 9th of October, 2015, Waikato won the shield. 36-30, I think. And we were belting them in the first half and Hawks Bay came back. As Hawks Bay do. And then you held it for six games, lost it to Canterbury just about a year later. Yes, that Hawks Bay game was the last game of the year and we were out of playoff contention and, and everything. So yeah, we had, had that for the summer. And, what a week. Yeah, so what a proud week. of those boys that when they kick on to first-class careers. Mm, 
Fantastic. Uh, Brett, we've got more calls to get to. Thanks for calling us, though, buddy. See you, my Brett. See you, mate. Uh, Paul from Timaru. G'day, Paul. Afternoon, Staffy. How you doing? Good, thanks, Paul. Reese. Sorry, say it again. Your phone just cut out there. Oh, marginally. Try that. Is that better? That's better. Now we got you. You got two minutes. Go. Two minutes. You're right, oh, back in 75, the first memory. Um, Fairly sure was brought to our school in South Canterbury. Ah. That's where I saw it. And uh, 48 years later, roughly. <laughs> Back of a ute, we were ducking around to the Hawke's Bay Rugby Union to pick up our tickets. The shield was handed to me through the back window of the ute. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I see South, Can- South Canterbury won it in 1974, held it for one game. Well, 74 it was, so 40, 49 years ago. <sighs> Last year, so it was handed to me, and off we drove, and uh, we were the custodians for the day. Beautiful. Stings and had breakfast. Might have gone to Bridge Par and played around the golf with it. <laughs> might have, might have. <laughs> nah, I knew the management of the South Canterbury team and texted them and said, "Look what I've got." Text back and said, "Keep it. <laughs> <laughs> bring it home." <laughs> uh, later on, he said, "Is there any chance you can bring it around?" And I said, "I'll see what we can do." So we took it round to the team. And then I handed it to a guy. There was one of their travelling party was uh, a member of the '74 winning team. Oh wow! Handed it to him, and he didn't let it go. And the emotion to him to be able to hang on to that shield again was one of the proudest things I've ever done. Is make that making that available to that guy. And then he spoke to the team. They didn't touch it about the shield and what it meant to him. Pretty awesome. That's an awesome yarn, Paul. Appreciate you calling and telling us it, mate. We've got to duck off to ads, but really, really appreciate that call. Good memories. That's Paul from Timaru. Uh, we'll take a break. We'll come back after that. We are coming up to news time. I've absolutely loved this first hour, the memories of the Ramfield. Jeez, there's some stories out there. You know, 40 years ago, 50 years ago. Um, all of those memories down the years. We're going to keep the phone lines open. We're going to delay our next guest, um, because there's so many that have come in on the text machine, double eight, double three. So keep those coming through, your 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 memories. Um, there's only one game that stands out above the rest: Auckland Canterbury when it was John Hart versus Alex Wiley. Canterbury down twenty four three at half time, could win, and came back and won it right on full time. When you watch the game, it puts shivers down your spine. That's just an example of the type of text messages that are coming through. I'm going to read them all out. Uh, we've got Domo on hold. Uh, he'll join us after the news. We'll keep this Ramfurly Shield buzz going because I'm absolutely loving it. And by the sounds of the feedback, you are too. 0800 150 811. Back after Johnny Max news. Let's go to Domo in Auckland. G'day, Domo. G'day, buddy. Mate, that uh, game you just referred to, I was there, but I'll, uh, I'll tell you what happened. Second half, Dale Atkins goes off. Um, Pat O'Gorman comes on. Starts winning line-out ball, and they made the flip and charge. Unbelievable, mate. I've, I got goosebumps uh, talking about it, mate. And I nearly got my head smashed in after the game. Walking, you know, we, we were at the far end. We were staying at the Clarendon. And old um, 
in the in the centre there. And old um, John Hart's, unbeknown to us, John Hart's grandmother was staying there. And so that's where the shield was put for safekeeping, if you like. But so I was uh, walking across the park after the game, and I saw some buddies up in the crowd, you know, and uh, got chanted at them. So then I got uh, away laid from the buddies. We, we were Maris, you know. I'm not kidding you, mate. Half the team of Maris was like trying to break into the All Blacks, <laughs> playing for that club side at the time. But I would, um, yeah, so we, uh, so then I'm walking back into town on my lonesome and I uh, got the Auckland scarf and, mate, I got some, uh, I got some stick, mate, you know, but I just kept walking. And, uh, yeah, anyway, we, we were out that night and then we came, came back and the guy said, hey, there are Anthony Shields in the, in the flipping, um, the lounge or something. I said, yeah, sure, yeah, sure enough it was, mate. So we got a photo with it. But I was also at the Horofanua, uh, game, uh, and I'm pretty sure that's the first time Auckland that the shield had been taken on trial. I might be wrong there. They might have taken it to Marlborough uh, previously. But, and I met Keith Quinn in the main street. And, uh, mate, I'm not kidding. He hasn't changed it. He's got a few grey hairs now, but he hasn't changed a bit, you know. Old, um, and uh, had a chat. Then, I, again, I did the old Earl, Earl Curden thing, you know, stand at the end of the field. And, mate, you know, they got wallet, but... Spencer made a break, you know, from inside his own 22. And, oh, mate, yeah, showed it then. It was, and that, that seems like yesterday. I was also at the Arthur Stone game where he, the lightest all black ever, mate, got that intercept and, and what have you. But, yeah, no kidding, mate. Trying to break into the, the Marasenius. It was like trying to break into the all blacks, mate. And then when I finally thought I had a crack, old Pat Lang comes in straight out of high school and, and uh, you know, we were all training under Jim Blair back in the day, mate. We were fit as heck. You know, anything old. Uh, and uh, what? heady days, mate. Heady days. Brilliant anyway, days. I, yeah. I packed up and yeah, yeah, I packed up and and went back to the league. So yes, it's just good. Yeah, awesome. Hey, mate, who's that dude who played for Manawa Two uh, back in the heyday? And he ran, run, runs the hotel there, um, right on the corner. You must know him. I think he was first five. Flipping smashing bloke. Oh, um, well, Mark Mark Donaldson. Mark Donaldson had a pub. He was the halfback. Okay. Jeff Old had a yeah. pub. He yeah, was number eight. Jeff Old had a. It's a pub right on the corner, mate. It's a hotel. It's got accommodation. And this is just a few up to a few years ago. But anyway, uh, that's another story. What a great dude he was. Man. Awesome. A couple of great lockins here, but uh, yeah, no. It was, <laughs> Great, great listen, man. Cheers, great buddy. Listen, buddy. Thanks, Tom, mate. Uh, let's get to some of your texts, eh? Let's get to some of your texts. There's some great memories here. Staff is a 12-year-old sitting on the terraces watching Auckland retain the shield 11-9 against counties. 50,000 packed in Eden Park on a sunny Saturday afternoon. That's JD's memory. Mid-Canterbury did beat Canterbury in 1982. I, was that a shield game? I did see uh, South Canterbury 74. Ugh. You said 82, didn't you? Canterbury had it 82 to 85 for 25 defences. Um, I think the only way Auckland get a challenge this season is if Southland take the shield off Wellington in round three, then Auckland would get the next challenge. There's Ken. He knows. Ken knows. Staff, I spent a couple of years 
in Auckland and managed the teachers' seniors. During Auckland's tyrant spell with the Shield, they never had it held by a security firm. That's because Peter Fatialofa was the guardian of it because they said it's safer with him than a security company. It used to sleep with him, so the story goes. Someone will know more than me, and I hope they can verify that. That's from facing the wider rapper. Uh, <laughs> Peter Fats. Uh, text from oh, Grant, formerly of Combolton, now of Tauranga. There's been some great grants come out of uh, Combolton. He says, Staff, you'd remember the great Manawatu Shield run in the late 70s. Chippy Seaman off landing a penalty seven minutes after injury time was meant to have finished. Bill Adlam was the referee, and I've never forgotten that dark day. Neither have I, Grant. Bill Adlam of Wanganui, it was 12 minutes injury time. <clears throat> you say, se- yes, probably seven more than what it should have been. So maybe there should have been five, but there was 12. Maybe that's, I add a bit of inflation to that. Um, and Ken confirms that Auckland haven't had a challenge since 2015. It's a long time between challenges. Um, it's on Sky Sport 1 at 2 o'clock tomorrow, which is good. So that'll be while we are on air. Oh, running it straight, 2 to 3. I wonder if Kempi will allow me to give score updates of a Ranfurly Shield game in his beloved league show. Um Someone says New Zealand rugby are obviously counting on Horafanua Kapiti not winning the Shield. The fact that they've let this game go before South Canterbury, who earned the mandatory challenge, would suggest that. Yeah, you bring up an interesting point, because the Meads Cup winner has a mandatory challenge, and you'd think they'd get first crack. Because I don't think anyone's expecting Horafanua Kapiti to win. That would be a very interesting um a very interesting, that would be a upset of the year across all sports, I would suggest. But it can happen. Um, and if that happened, then what happens to South Canterbury? And their mandatory challenge, risky. You bring up a very good point. Uh, I always remember Southland's run in the late 2000s. It was epic. Best defence ever. Great times. And I think about Southland and Hawke's Bay, so away from the big, big centres, right, and they get that Ranfurly shield, they just go to another level. I truly believe Jamie McIntosh's best rugby ever was shield rugby for Southland. Now, I know he played for the All Blacks, and I know he played for the Landers, but I absolutely think his best rugby ever was the shield. Ash Dixon, Sonatomololo. Just, just so many names. Um, we had someone ring up about that earlier era with, with Gordon Falcon. Um, even go back in the 60s and Cal Tremaine and Tom Johnson and uh, Neil... Neil... Wolf? Neil Weber, actually. Brad Weber's father or grandfather. He was part of it. Ah, some great times. Someone suggests it was Doug Rollison. It could have been Doug Rollison. Did he have a pub on the corner in Palmy? Not sure. I know Bullet Mark Donaldson did. He had the Cobb and Co. And then he had the one down Tremaine Ave. Jeff Old had the Cloverly over in um, in Cloverly. Just trying to think of other first fives there. Who did we have first five? Jimmy Bryson, Brian Morris. Um, can't remember other first fives. But anyway, it could have been Doug Rollison was the one you're talking about. Righto. <coughs> Ram Furley Shield. We'll draw the curtain on that until tomorrow when we get ready for Horror for New Acapities. Challenge as well. Hang on, I've got a text message from someone very important. Neil Thimbleby. Thank you, Campbell Burns. Campbell Burns of Rugby News.
on your bookshelves now. Uh, fantastic read, The Rugby News. Fantastic man, Campbell Burns. Neil Thimbleby was the man I was trying to think of. Thank you, sir. Right, after this break, Justin Nelson on the NBL, the Toihi Women's League with changes. Amazing rosters all gets underway tomorrow night. Justin Nelson will preview it with us. Well, it's basketball now, incredibly popular game in New Zealand, and it's really getting global reach now. Um, one of the men that's uh, really behind this big movement and been very successful at it, our very own host of Hoopheads here on SENZ and also Hoopheads on Sky Sport, Justin Nelson. Busy man. Thanks for joining us, Justin. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Um, Toihi starts tomorrow, but so does the Rapid League. What is the Rapid League? Yeah, new innovation. It's, uh, it's, it's kind of nervous and exciting all at the same time to see something new come to life and really looking forward to, to Rapid League hitting the court for the first time. Essentially what it is, is it's a four-by-four-minute four game prior to the main game, of course, which is Toihi. Mm-hmm. And the only players who can play in the Rapid League game are the seven players coming off the bench in the Toihi game. So the five starters announced for the Toihi game, they cannot play in the Rapid League game. And to add a slice of legitimacy, you get three points, three match points for winning a Toihi game, and you get one match point for winning a Rapid League game. So vitally important that teams go out there and play to win. Wow, that that's... That's a, that's a innovative, Justin. Um, to, and I actually think it's really cool. You get three and one, um, which I guess would stop the temptation of putting one of your starters into the rapid game to try and get that point. Well, I think that's one of the things that we're going to sit back and watch evolve, just how teams adapt and what they try and do and let the first season you know, get through and then we can uh, have a look at it and tweak it. Uh, if teams do want to risk starters, you know, or, or regular starters in, in Rapid League. That's something that they're going to have to contend with. Uh, it's going to be really fascinating to see how coaches and players adapt uh, and uh, and go about putting their squads together. But I think the best thing about Rapid League, uh, potentially, what we're going to see now is we're going to see a lot of these rising Kiwi players, a lot of this young talent that's coming through the system. And we're going to see those players getting an opportunity rather than being stuck on the bench. You know, fans and viewers, they want to see these players hit the court. We're now going to see that in a major way. Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, you know, I look at um, like the breakers and uh, our Nuggets man, Timmins, just spends 99% of the season on the bench. And I, ju- I just want to have a look at him. I just want to have a look at him. So this this Rapid League addresses that, and I think that's fantastic. I'm actually going to jump right to where I was going to ask you about some players at the end. But the Rapid League will suit players. There's a 16-year-old, Bailey Flavel, Judd Flavel's daughter, very, very exciting prospect. She's going to get meaningful court time. Yeah, absolutely. And and what it does is it fast tracks the development of these players. You know, in the past we could see them stuck on a bench for three, four, five years and get disgruntled, maybe walk away and potentially we don't get to see the talent blossom. And importantly for the tall ferns in this instance, you know, Guy Malloy, the national coach, he's really excited about this uh, this rapid league concept because he's going to see his future stars develop so much quicker. And hopefully what that will do is that will add a lot of depth 
to the national team program. So it's an exciting innovation. It's new and it's different. I think we're all going to sit down with some level of fascination and see how it unfolds. Yeah, really good for the national age group stuff because these world championships for age groups and they're going to get some meaningful competition, which is which is just brilliant. Uh, six personal fouls as well. Uh, part of me thought, is that because they foul too much and so you're just giving them a bit more leniency? Um, <laughs> why have you brought in six personal fouls? Well, six personal fouls exist in the WNBA at the moment, which is a 40-minute game. So it's not new, unlike Rapid League, which is a world first. Uh, six personal fouls, has, uh, it's in competitions around the world now. I think what we're trying to do and what we're having a look at is an opportunity to keep the star players on the court longer. The fans pay money to go and see the stars. People switch on the TV to see the stars. Now that we've got Rapid League, where you see the rising talent, for the main game, we want to see the stars. There's eight WNBA players coming into Tohihi this season, which is quite amazing to have that level of international talent. If we were sitting here today talking about any other sport up and down the country with the level of international talent coming from the best women's basketball league in the world, we'd be falling over ourselves. So to have those players coming in, there's also eight, I think it's eight of the current tall ferns that just competed at the uh, at the FIBA Asia Cup. To have those players coming in as well, the fans and the viewers want to see the stars. Six fouls is going to help keep those players on the court longer. How on earth have we managed to get eight WNBA players? As you say, the world's best league. How have we managed to get eight of them here? Yeah, it's a great question. I think there's three things that I come back to with what Tohihi has immediately done. Uh, And remember, basketball's a global game. This is an international game of the highest level alongside football. And, of course, we're about to see the FIFA World Cup on our own shores. But alongside football, basketball is a truly global game. So I think the things that stand out to me as to why they're coming here to play, so number one, pay parity. So the players are being paid at the same level as the men. What an exceptional situation for basketball in this country to be in. The second one, it's a short, sharp season. It's one and done in, uh, what, 19 weeks. It fits perfectly before the European season. So these players come here with an opportunity to earn some money, get themselves geared up, and then they head off to Europe for what is usually a grueling six-month season. And then I think the third thing stands out for itself. You get the opportunity to come to New Zealand for 10 weeks, either as a visitor or a tourist or an athlete, you're absolutely going to take that opportunity. And I think that's a highlight for these players. They want to come and see New Zealand. The calendar, I thought it would have fit into the calendar. Was that intentional by um, by the organisers of this league saying, hey, if we play it here, we've got a good chance of bringing some quality? Yeah, it was. Taihi was originally a model um, that, that came to mind back when I was working at the NBL in 2020. So it was actually two years in the making before we actually got it on court. And... The timing of the season was critical. We had to make sure that we uh, fitted in a window where the best talent, both internationally and also importantly for homegrown players for Kiwis, could come back home and play without it conflicting or clashing with some of the bigger you know, and more advanced professional leagues around the world. So the timing was a critical part of the model. 
We see the likes of uh, Eva Langton coming. She's a university player in the States. I've had her on the show in the past. A wonderful young woman. Uh, Paris Mason, who you had on Hoop Heads the other night, which was just yeah. a brilliant interview. Um, a Central Pulse netball player, and she'll be knocking on the door to the Silver Ferns as well. Um, great to have players like that. And then the 16-year-old Bailey Flavel, and then the WNBA players as well. It's a real cross-section of basketball talent. Yeah, it is, and it's growing. Um, the number of uh, young Wahine who are playing over in collegiate basketball in the U.S. is growing by the year. Astronomical numbers. You know, there's more than 100 Kiwis, both male and female, heading to the U.S. every year to play basketball, which is quite extraordinary uh, when you sit back and you think about it from a population of 5 million. And, you know, New Zealand bats above its weight uh, when it comes to a lot of sport, and certainly basketball is no different. The Tall Blacks are about to go to the World Cup. Uh, of course, the Tall Ferns have just played at the FIBA Asia Cup, and they took down Korea, ranked 12 in the world. Uh, so definitely with the depth of talent that's coming through, uh, and things like Rapid League and some of these innovations, you know, the, the six fouls, let's see how that goes. We've got the Sky City player timeout, of course, that's now in the Men's and Women's League. That's an exciting new element you know, for fans and for viewers and for players to uh, to get involved with. And we're seeing some really exciting finishes in the Sellers NBL uh, on a weekly basis uh, that has the player timeout featuring heavily in it. So all of these things are uh, increasingly adding to the thirst that we have for the game. And I think what we'll see is greater depth, more talent coming through. And I think those world rankings will lift for the Tall Blacks and the Tall Ferns as a result in the future. The popular, popularity of basketball in New Zealand, it, it's, it's, it's huge. It, it just keeps exploding and exploding. And I remember quite some time ago, I'm going to say it was maybe six years ago, I was talking to the head of North Harbour Basketball and he said there's just not enough courts for the amount of kids that want to play. Um, how do we address that? Because if a kid wants to play basketball, we want them to play. Yeah, look, it's the number one consumption sport on a weekly basis for Kiwis and consumption can be everything from playing to watching to fantasy uh, to you know PlayStation to wagering to all of those things it is number one on a weekly basis for under 35s and it's growing it's increasing uh, year on year if I think back to my time in Australia before I came to New Zealand clearly the biggest difference is facilities you know in, in Melbourne for instance uh, there's 20, 30 stadiums that are 3,000-plus seats scattered around wow. suburban Melbourne. Uh, most cities here in New Zealand, there's one. You know, you're lucky if you've got one stadium uh, in a city that can that can do that, and certainly in the regional areas as well. So it's a big task, and I know that, you know, Dylan Boucher and his team at Basketball New Zealand are tackling that head-on. Uh, we need to build more facilities. Uh, we need to get... Um, you know, modern facilities. So even those facilities that are out there, it's important that they're upgraded because creature comfort for the fans is uh, is vitally important as well. And finally, Justin Nelson joining us, a uh, host of Hoopheads here on SENZ alongside Casey. Um, you mentioned the global game. Well, it truly is now, and I know how much work you've put into it, but people are watching our leagues, our basketball leagues, our athletes worldwide, and like proper worldwide. USA, big market. Europe, big market. How hard has it been to get it onto the TV screens, onto the streaming services, so it is truly globally watched, our competition here in Aotearoa? 
Yeah, it's been a journey. I mean, this is my fifth year here in the country, and um, you know, one of the, one of the the critical things for us from day one back in 2019 uh, when I arrived was to ensure that our basketball was competitively balanced to make sure that it was exciting. Every fan in every sport uh, should be able to turn on the TV or head to a stadium or an arena and have a genuine belief that their team has a chance to win. And I think that's one of the key things that we have flipped on its head and uh, turned it into a positive in, in basketball in this country. You've only got to look at the current NBL competition heading into the last round and just how exciting that is. But what that does is it then becomes more of an interest to fans and viewers outside of the country. Globally, all of a sudden, people start taking an interest and watching on. There's no doubt that back in 2020, uh, through COVID, when we came up with the really unique bubble concept where every team stayed in Auckland and, and, and played on a nightly basis in Auckland. Uh, we had that player draft. you remember that back in 2020? What that did is it attracted the attention of the Americans, and that's when ESPN joined us. And they're still with us today, which is quite amazing, and, and credit to everybody uh, throughout basketball in New Zealand that we can still attract that attention. And then what we've been able to do, you know, through the coverage on Sky Sport, is we've been able to take that to the world through FIBA as well. So no matter where you are, any corner of the globe, uh, country big or small, uh, you're able to get online and you're able to watch the games. Give us one or two of these NBA stars that we haven't seen before that are must-watch telly. Well, Stephanie Watts has been signed by the Tokamanawa Queens, who are the, the reigning champions. Uh, in the uh, in the Tohi competition, she's picked ten. I mean, she's a top ten pick in the WNBA draft by the Los Angeles Sparks. I mean, that is quite remarkable uh, that we've got someone like Stephanie uh, coming to our shores and uh, and playing in Tohi. But she's only one of eight WNBA players, as I mentioned before. So, if you want to get out and you want to see some of the elite athletes, some of the stars of the game on a global stage including our Kiwis. I mean, Panina Davidson just made the uh, the All-Star 5 at the FIBA Asia Cup. Uh, if you want to get out and you want to see some of the very, very best female players uh, in the world, get out and see a uh, Tohi game. It's going to be an exciting season. Sure is, and they're great humans as well. Hey, Justin, uh, big thanks for everything you do for the basketball game here in New Zealand. Can't wait for this uh, Tohi competition to get underway. Five teams stacked full of talent, stacked full of entertainment and the Rapid League is only going to be candles on an already iced cake. I think it's going to be exceptional. I like your analogy. Well done. (laughs) Good on you. Ladies and gentlemen, I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story and I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. What's making news around the world. What's making news, Robbie? What is making news? We're going first to Florida, home of the uh, all the Florida men, yes. funnily enough. Florida um, men. And what is going on in Florida Keys? We had the key lime pie eating uh, competition That's last right. week. That's right. Um, and now divers have donned mermaid tails and ventured underwater with musical instruments for the 39th annual Lower Keys Underwater Music Festival. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Got to go along. 
off being yeah. yeah you'd have to be wet behind the ears not to go to that yeah yeah exactly uh but yeah the uh, florida keys and key west said in the facebook post the undersea concert uh concert actually featured the mermaid performers miming with their instruments while real music was pumped into the area via underwater speakers so not quite as exciting as it potentially could be uh but yeah the songs played under the water included uh during the mock concert included yellow submarine by the beatles mm. uh fins by jimmy buffet and songs from the films pirates jimmy of the buffett. caribbean Jimmy Buffett. Oh, Buffett. Yes. Well, I've, sorry, this. Buffet. I, I, I don't know. I'm reading buffet. It's the word buffet. Yeah, but it's Buffett. Okay, fair enough. All right. Like I'll, Warren. Right. I'll Warren take, Buffett. Right. I'll take I, did, I did laugh at Kimby this morning. He called canapes canopies. Oh, right. Yeah, eating canopies. Right. Mm, carry fair on. Enough. Yeah. Uh, Pirates of the Caribbean and Little Mermaid. Songs from those as well. I think it'd be more suited to like choral singers. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. I think so. Um, the annual event raises awareness of the need to protect uh, Low Key Reef, an area of the NOAA Florida Keys National Marine Sanctuary. Nice. So, yeah, good event there. And uh, I've got a couple more records for you to attempt, Steph. Oh, have you? Yeah, yeah. You're so on World Record Watch. I, re- I really am. Achievable, um, these ones? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just come straight out and say that. No. Um, but... Yeah, I'd, it's similar to like how I kept finding Wisconsin stories after getting heaps of them, considering I'm from there. Uh, Tony Kemp's trying to talk to me through the window. Can't you see the on-air? I'm on-air. Should we I'm get him on in? on-air, Kempy. Should we get him? Come, come in. Should we get him in the studio? Come in. Right. There's a little on-air site out, a little sign outside, Kempy. Yeah, what do you need? Yes, boy, that's a great interruption. Venison and salami from Kempi. That's beautiful. One, one of each. One of each. Okay, one of each. He doesn't look like he's going to save it for you. He's he's walked out the door. No, it's in the work fridge. Okay, right, fair enough. That's what's um, making news. That's a brilliant interruption. Should we go to a break? No, I'll no. give you a couple more stories. Uh, these records. Right. Um, yeah, I, I think I keep getting. World record stories because I, because I search stories. I search for them and they they know that I'm that I'm after them so they keep just showing up. <laughs> uh, so for this one, organisers of an annual rodeo festival in Alberta mm. announced they broke a Guinness World Record by serving more than seventeen thousand pancakes in eight hours. <sighs> so, four hundred and eighty minutes in eight hours, seventeen thousand divided by four eighty, thirty five pancakes a minute. Wow. As I pretend to have done that math in my head on the fly. That's one every 1.6 seconds. Yeah, so that's uh, that'll be harder to live stream during the show, Yeah. that attempt. Um, so, yeah, we might we might pass on that one. But uh, the Calgary Stampede, apparently, as it's called, announced that pancakes started being served to volunteers 6.30 a.m. on the Sunday, and then uh, doors opened to the public, and they started at 8 a.m., went for the whole day. Uh, event's official Twitter account said a total 17,182 pancakes were served by the end of the eight-hour period. Guinness World Records adjudicator Brittany Dunn was on hand to observe the attempt. Uh, she ended up disqualifying 15 of the pancakes for various reasons. Uh, but that's still Fussy left. Fussy girl, Brittany. I know. But uh, 15 to 17,000 is not too bad. Uh, but yeah, that's still left enough to break the previous record of 14,208. Um yeah, I, I don't know exactly what the record was, whether it was a, like, eight-hour period. Uh, yeah. Is there another achievable one for me? Um, there's another record. Okay. Whether it's another achievable one, um, 
we'll, we'll wait and find out. An Idaho man has broken more than 250 Guinness World Records. Oh, he's greedy. I know. Uh, aimed to recapture one of his former titles by passing a 130-and-a-half-pound weight from hand-to-hand hand 100 times. Now that's, 130 pounds. That's 60 kilograms. Hand-to-hand, hand, yeah. Yeah. Um, Could even lift 60 kilograms, no, I don't think. No, no. Uh, so, yeah, he previously held the record for heaviest rate transferred uh, hand-to-hand 100 times by using a 107-pound weight, but his record was broken by a man using a 115-pound weight. Oh, so it's about the weight, not the amount of transfers. Yeah, I guess, I guess so. <coughs> um, mm-hmm. But it does say 100. It needs to be 100 times as well. Right. So, um, so yeah, he 130 and a half pounds, 100 times between the hands. <laughs> No chance. No. <coughs> I reckon I'd struggle with 10 kilos. Right. 100 times. Well, maybe, maybe, we'll, maybe we'll, we'll start with there. Start there. <laughs> start there. And then, um, yeah, we'll see if we can build our way up. Okay. A um, couple of facts. A mm-hmm. uh, couple of music facts to firstly start off. Clocking in at uh, 1,560 words, Rap God by Eminem is the song with the most words. You know, uh, you know Rap God? No. Here's Rap God. Lyrics coming at you with supersonic speed. So yeah, that keeps going that, on for a bit. Uh, I tell you what, I don't like it, but man, that's impressive. It's very yeah, it's very it's very impressive. Uh, Eminem, known for rapping, known for rapping, uh, very quickly, and and for suing the National Party for using his theme that's music true. at the last, last yeah, election yeah. or two elections ago. Yeah, yeah, no, I do remember that. Um, so yeah, don't think don't think that. That record's um, been beaten. Definitely, words per minute is. Uh, yeah, no, I can't do hold that. that. I can't no. do that. No, um, the world's longest concert lasted 453 hours, occurring in 2017. Started on March 17th, continued until April 5th, uh, part of Canada's celebration of their country's 150th anniversary. Wow, not one band, obviously. Yeah, probably not. It's a music festival. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. That's a lot of music. It is a lot of it music. It is a lot of music. Um, <coughs> and I got this last one from uh, one of my friend's Instagram stories, actually, who's over there at the moment. Apparently, Switzerland has a noise ban between midnight and 6 a.m. where no flights can arrive or depart. Oh. So, uh, yeah, she just made it back into the UK after being delayed until 11.35 p.m., so <laughs> a bit close. Um, but, yeah, got that from her and... That's an interesting one. It is for Switzerland. Another interesting one, this is actually serious news. Um, someone texted in about, actually I'll read the text. Uh, Staffy, three New Zealand 15 players have been sent home for apparently personal reasons from Japan. How about some good journalism and find out the truth? And why the Kremlin is again sweeping things under the office carpet? Staffy, Asafu Amua came home from the All Black 15 because of personal reasons. Obviously, he wanted to play for Wellington in the Shield game tomorrow. He's listed at hooker in the starting lineup. He is listed as hooker. Uh, the other players, uh, Oli Jaeger and Isaiah Walker-Leaweri. All three for personal reasons? Personal is not synonymous with disciplinary. Now, if it is all personal... I can't imagine what it would be if it was the same incident to send them all back. Personal? Look, I will try and have a dig, but 
I doubt I'll be able to find out, but I might. I'll try. Uh, they've been replaced by George Dyer, George Bell, and Aidan Ross. I believe, I believe they farewelled the squad before the first match against the Tokyo against the Japanese fifteen in Tokyo last Saturday. So they left before last Saturday, and it's been announced now. There'll be more to come somewhere, somehow. I'll see what I can find. We'll take a, a short break. Yeah, just on those three players, someone's texting saying, I'm sure I saw them with other non-playing members probably in the stands because I thought I saw a Safuamua in the stand as well. But the report says, and I quote, they farewelled the squad before the first match against the Japan 15 in Tokyo last Saturday. Um... Yeah, so I don't know. <clears throat> I'll see if I can find out, but don't hold your breath. Don't hold your breath. Uh, very shortly, we think it was Pete that was texting us in. I should have had a look up, actually. It was Pete saying we should have a chat to Michaela Rowe. She has started a thing called Kawi Girls. Kawi Girls and camps and getting young girls onto motocross bikes, which is really, really interesting. And it's school holidays at the moment. Um, these are an interesting thing to get your kids involved in. So after the news and the sport and the weather with John McNeil, we're going to talk to Michaela Rowe of Kawi Girls. Radio team, we've got something a bit different for you today. I think it's a pretty cool project that I'd never heard of till a listener texted us and said, you've got to talk to Michaela Rowe from Kawi Girls. So we're going to talk to Michaela Rowe from Kawi Girls. Welcome in, Michaela. Hey, hey. <laughs> now, you started Kawi Girls in 2019, and I only just figured out five minutes ago that Kawi is Kawasaki, so you're the Kawasaki yes. Girls. Um, Correct. Before we talk about the group Kawi Girls, I want to talk a bit about you and your entry into motorbikes and how you got involved in racing them. Yeah, so um, I've actually been around dirt bikes pretty well my whole life. Uh, my dad is hard out into it and he's a legend in the sport so didn't have a choice really um but I was on a bike at about four and a half um and yeah straight into it loved it um but yeah as, as the kind of got older I sort of grew out of the competitive side of the sport um and yeah I did take a break for a while um but got back into it um I've got yeah four New Zealand titles to my name um but yeah I obviously fell out of love with the competitive side so that where I um, yeah got the sort of passion and that to start Kawi Girls. So Kawi Girls is about riding for fun, not riding for trophies. Am I right? Correct. Yes. So <laughs> what's the big difference for you? Is you, you just take the edge off from performance and just actually have the joy of of riding a bike? Yeah, I think um, yeah. Growing up for me, I I yes, I didn't really have many um, girlfriends that rode motocross. Um, or were into it, so I sort of spent a lot of my time riding with dad and my brother and my brother's mates and all that. Um, so it's a bit lonely for me, but <laughs> um, so that's that's sort of where I yeah where I go with um, Kawi Girls is it's just a um, non-competitive environment to basically just boast fun, um, yeah let let the hair down, meet friends and um, create social connections and yeah just basically push through boundaries and fear and um, be supported while doing it. So since 2019, have you come across any girls that just started for fun and, and get a bit bitten by the bug and say, wouldn't mind having a crack at a race? 
Yeah, I get. I have a few um, few that are that are into it. Um, a lot of them, majority of the girls who come to my events are sort of beginners, intermediate, um, and they yeah find it quite intimidating. And racing, the aspect of racing, is uh, very scary for, for most girls who come to my events. So, so it's a lot of them. It's the first time they've tried it. Uh, yeah, for, for a lot of the girls that come, they have either been only just gotten into it or they've been riding maybe for a couple of years, but um, just, yeah, want to be in a bit more of a chill environment. Um, a lot of the girls who come here to my events, they don't actually race. They just ride for fun, um, do trail rides and all that sort of thing. Yeah, so what what does a, an event look like and how different can they be? Because there's road, there's track, there's dirt, there's trail rides. Do, do you cover all of those? Uh, no, so I just cover um, just mainly, yeah, motocross or dirt bikes um, on like a motocross track. I have looked in the past to do trail rides, um, which is, yeah, a possibility in the future as well. Um, but at the moment, I just focus here on dirt bikes on a motocross track as such, yeah. So, Kawi Girls, um, it must be awesome to have the backing of Kawasaki to make this um, part of the, I was going to say sport, but it's you're promoting pastime really as, as a different way to get out and create your own little community. How important to have a brand like Kawasaki behind you? Yeah, it's been um, actually bloody awesome. I've, I, yeah, when I started this in the beginning of 2019, at the time there was actually nothing like it. Um, so that's when I sort of approached Kawasaki New Zealand um, for the support um, and what their thoughts were on me starting this women's initiative and they were all for it um, and yeah, they agreed that there was something missing in the sport um, around women, women and motocross in New Zealand. So yeah, so it's basically started from there and they've supported me um, since day one, so it's been awesome. We've got one of the best in the world and Courtney Duncan flying the New Zealand flag but doesn't get to fly it often at home. H- have you had any link up with her? Yes, so I actually, um, I, I know Courtney quite well, and uh, yeah, she has actually done an event with me last year, the year before, um, was my first camp out, um, and she, Courtney actually came along and she was one of the coaches, so it was a bloody epic for a lot of girls to meet Courtney, to be coached by Courtney, um, and hang out here yeah, two days, post marshmallows, um, yeah, banter, having fun, um, it, was, it was an awesome experience for a lot of girls. So camp out. So you stay out overnight yep. two days. Can you talk us through the two day program for these youngsters? Yeah. So um, I've run two two so far. The first one um, was with Courtney Josiah Netsky, um and Zara Gray. So she's on the Bridgetown uh, Kawasaki race team. And uh, Josiah, he used to be racing here in New Zealand. He's actually overseas now, racing for a team over there. Um, so the the coaching camps are. Basically, a two-day, um, or you can can make a three-day arrive on the Friday, and camping out over the weekend, um, and it's all set out. So there's um, coaching sessions, there's um, fun, acti- fun activities, games. There's heaps of giveaways. Um, we do like yeah, bike like um, bike techniques. So um, at the start of the day, we run through the bike, how it works. Um, how do you pick up your bike? Um, all the basics um, that sort of are sort of overrun, I guess. Um, when when starting out on a motocross track, it's quite daunting. So we run through all that. We go through three coaching sessions throughout the day, 
And then in the evening, we have like a dinner, a group dinner that I put on with um, the help of my family and my friends. Um, and then, yeah, we go into the night, have a bit of music. And then the next day is um, we do it all again, basically. <laughs> So, so, um, so do you need to turn up with your own bike? Can they hire bikes, rent bikes? How does that work? Yeah, so um, basically you turn up, turn up with your own bike um, and all your own gear and, and whatnot, um, and we just yeah, provide the, the coaching and all the skills camp. So how, if, if someone's got a daughter out there that's 8 or 9 or 10, I don't know what sort of age groups you cater to, what, what's what's their best advice to say, I think my girl could, could really benefit from this. They haven't really synced with the other sports or pastimes out there. They're not into ballet, they're not into netball, and they're, they're into the wilderness and, and a little bit more grunt. What would be your advice to those parents to, to try and enter into it uh, without breaking the bank? Um, I think you can keep it fairly low cost. I mean, you know, once you've got the gear, um, getting the gear and the bike is obviously a bit of a cost. But once you've got that, um, you know, you're just like private tracks. If you know people with private tracks, um, generally it's about 30, 40 bucks to ride. Or if you're a junior or sort of a mini, it can be around the $20, um, $20 mark to ride at a track. Um, I just, yeah, suggest it's checking out your local um, local tracks, club tracks, um, or keep an eye out um, on the Cover Girls pages. I do run just fun days. Um, so those are just a day day out at a, at a track, just a one-day event, um, girls only um, in a sort of riding environment, no, non-competitive, no boys um, jumping over you. It's just, um, yeah, a lot more, lot more chill, I guess, for the girls, yeah. Because I, I reckon once you mix it with the boys, the competitive nature in them will just come out and could rob a little bit of little bit of enjoyment. So it's uh, I, I encourage people just to Google Kawi Girls, K-A-W-I-G-I-R-L-S, just one word, Kawi Girls. What sort of numbers are you getting along to your, your fun days and your camps? Uh, so I've actually, it's grown massively since I started this, um, which is yeah, so awesome. And I think it's yeah, growing, growing the sport. Um, as a whole as well. Um, but I sort of, on a fun, I think on a twilight ride, which I normally do those on a Thursday night in summer, um, those, my most I've got on a Thursday night is 43, which oh. is, cra- is crazy. Um, <laughs> some motocross events these days don't even get that, those numbers. So um, girls, girls are interested and girls will drive from, I had a girl drive from like down Palmerston Northway on a Thursday night for it. So um, it's, yeah, massively sought after, and I think the girls just really love being in that woman-only environment. So um, where, yeah. where are you based for these twilight rides in summer? Uh, so these, I was doing these at Moto Central, which is at the back of Huntley. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm sort of based in the base in the Waikato area. Um, but yeah, my fun, oh, my first camp out that I had, I kept that one at uh, fifty. So I had fifty entries, and I had forty-three on the wait list. So Heaps of uh, keen ladies wanting to get into that one. And then my second one, I actually lowered the numbers and I kept that one at 30 um, just so that you know, girls got more out of it and it was a bit more personalised with coaching. How accessible are tracks? Like, um, I guess once you get into your kind of environment and your kind of community, uh, word of mouth, I guess, you, you mentioned these private tracks that I guess people, with, while it's privately owned, they'd love to see people out there 
riding on them. Is it like, well, golf courses, um, they're all over the country and easy to find. They're on the main roads. How do, we, how do our young women and parents of young women find these tracks? Um, generally, most um, tracks that are, that I would say aren't private uh, on, you know, Facebook pages, um, Instagram, otherwise like Google Maps, most of them you can find on there. Um, if there's rides on, you can look at Silver Bullet, which is a website online, um, which shows all, all the sort of dirt bike events um, coming up there. Most private tracks are, yeah, private for a reason. Normally the owners are <laughs> pretty um, keen to keep their yeah, special spots to themselves, but <laughs> yeah, kind of, kind of once you get into the scene a bit more, you you, you know have to contact that sort of thing, which just makes it good for me with um, running events. But <laughs> and with it with it growing so much, I guess it's good. You got a couple of other ambassadors, Amber Earl and Avalon Biddle, uh, who is a New Zealand champion in super sport herself. Is that to sort of share the load or to spread the geography of this of the Kawi Girls thing? Uh, so with the yeah, Kawi Girls thing, I sort of run the, I started in 2019 as just a dirt initiative, um, just for women on dirt bikes. And then um, Kawasaki New Zealand yeah, wanted to bring on sort of the roadside of the scene. So that's when um, Avalon and Amber sort of came on board um, to take over and start sort of a roadside, um, which I don't really dabble into at all. It's um, more just them, them uh, those two, they run um, the odd, Social ride, uh, road ride. Sounds good. Sounds blooming awesome. Yeah. So, um, so parents or girls out there that are listening now, um, what's the first step you think they need to take? Uh, I think yeah, number one, um, just from past experience, <laughs> mm-hmm. is uh, yeah, with especially with younger kids, um, just you know, don't don't push them. I think you know, kids kids will dabble it in, it in their own and they probably go into it and then don't want to do it anymore and they dabble into it again um, and that's I think that's just kids, that's just learning and it is quite an intimidating sport, it is quite scary um, I think the biggest thing with my Kawi Girls events is um, having you know having other little friends and other you know social connections um, at these events you know you meet meet a girl at one event and then no, no doubt you'll see her another or you'll tee up a ride and then um, it goes from there. I think it's really important to have, you know, other social connections and friends within within sort of the motocross scene. Um, otherwise, yeah, I guess it's not as fun on your own. <laughs> mm. Well, Michaela Rowe from Kawa Girls has been joining us today. Michaela, I, I really um, commend you for, for starting this and sort of identifying that the competitive thing wasn't wasn't for you and you just didn't walk away from the sport you've created something for people to actually enjoy the freedom and um, the excitement but probably more importantly that the camaraderie that will come from these young girls getting together doing something a little bit different make them feel a little bit special and you know I really commend you for for taking this on well done oh thank you awesome Michaela Rowe Kawi girls and their camps for just a bit of fun, a little bit of... I've never heard of it, and I think that's um, just a great little initiative. It's school holidays at the moment. I think it's school holidays. I haven't got kids. Um, are there other sporting things out there that your kids are getting involved in in the school holidays? To, like, I just don't know. Are there um, activities? Because there's a lot of homes, both parents work, and is there, is there, are there basketball camps? Are there cricket camps? Are there gymnasium camps? 
um, that are out there in the school holidays. And what are your kids up to? I really like the sound of that um, Kawa Girls Initiative, uh, backed by Kawasaki. I think it, it is fantastic. So thank you for that idea, Pete, that sent it through to have a chat to Michaela Rowe and uh, the other ambassadors that do a lot of work. And it sounds like um, having um, the great Courtney Duncan's been involved as well. Um, very empowering for the young women of, of New Zealand. So, Kawi Girls, just Google that, K-A-W-I-G-I-R-L-S, and you can find out what they do, what they get up to. There's plenty of photos there as well. They've got a Facebook page. They've got Instagram pages. Easy to track down. Let me know what you guys do with your kids in, the, in a sporting vein. Is there enough out there and which ones are good? 0800 150 You can call me and tell me about them. I'd be very interested. Or text them on 8833. That is temper and bedpost text machine, which is always open for you. We'll come back after this. Still got a lot of text messages to get through. Murray A says Mike Banks and Mark Donaldson owned the Cobb Co. Yes, they did. And they and Grant Lomprier and Mark Donaldson had L&D Sports as well. And Palmerston North. Steph, do you know who has the TV rights for the World Athletics Championships? Sky, I'm they had them last time. So I'd imagine they've still got them. I'm not 100% sure. I'll see if I can find out for you, though, Henry. Um, we've got some Paralympic, um, sorry, Para World Championships, Athletics World Championships results for you soon. Um, yeah, I've still got some wonderful Ramfurly Shield memories, which we'll, we'll hold on to. I, I will get to them before the end of the show, but it's been remiss of me. We haven't had the Wimbledon rap with Rubinio. Let's do that. It's a beautiful backing like, track. It's a bit like craft work. You're not old enough to remember no. that band called Kraftwerk. Anyway, go. Go. Uh, so you might remember, we left uh, Djokovic last night. He was two sets up. Uh, both of them going to tie breaks. That match was resumed last night with uh, Hubert Hurkacz taking the third set 7-5 before Novak bounced back and claimed the fourth set 6-4 to win that match. So it was a challenge for him, uh, but Djokovic prevailed and he was asked after the match about how hard a test it was. Honestly, I don't recall the last time I felt this uh, miserable on returning games, to be honest. <laughs> Uh, due to his uh, incredibly accurate and powerful serve. I mean, he's got one of the best best serves in the world and it's so difficult to read it. And uh... So, yeah, he struggled with the serve uh, of his opponent, but luckily he had his own dominant serve to fall back on with a stat showing during the game uh, Djokovic had served 50 games without facing a break point. Wow. Just, just crazy. So, um, yeah, on, on to the next round uh, for Djokovic at the quarterfinals where he'll face Andrei Rublev, and he was asked about that. He's a different player to, to Hurkacz, for sure. Um, he's got a very powerful, very quick uh, ground strokes, um, stays close to the line, obviously one of the best forehands in the game, loves to dictate. Um, I'm not going to talk too much about tactics. I'm sorry. <laughs> probably try to keep it for myself. But, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously... I have to be ready that uh, the matches are only going to get uh, harder. Um, tough to say that it's going to get harder than, than what I have experienced yesterday and today, but uh, you know I have to be ready for that. You know, Rublev has been a top 10 player for many years, and um, he's looking for his first semifinals of a Grand Slam. So hopefully that's not going to happen. Well. <laughs> 
Djokovic, uh, yeah, taking on Andre Rublev. Big quarterfinal coming up. Also in round of 16 action, Holger Rune, uh, or Rune from uh, the 20-year-old from Denmark, took down Gregor Dimitrov of Bulgaria. Uh, his thoughts post-match. We still don't know at the moment who your next opponent will be, if it will be Carlos Alcaraz or Matteo Berrettini. They're still playing. Um, but is there, you seem fearless. Is there anyone in this draw who you're afraid of, or do you believe enough in your talents here at Wimbledon? Because you've been playing some fantastic tennis. Thank you. Um, <laughs> difficult question. Um, uh, I mean, maybe it's going to be Berentini, maybe Alcaraz, two incredible players. Berentini made the final here, so he's uh, super dangerous here. And Alcaraz, you know, been showing that he's uh, the top of the world, um, you know, in a very young age. So it's going to be tough. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking very much forward to it. And uh, to answer the last question, I'm not afraid, but uh, I'm excited. Well, Good. big takeout from there. For me, yep. it's Alcaraz, not Alcatraz. Yes. We've had a few Alcatraz um, offences on the station in we recent have. times. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, in my opinion, he's a, he's a lock to win. <laughs> oh, no. He's a breakout player. Yep, he really is. <laughs> uh, and see, so, yeah, obviously, we do know who Runa will be taking on in the quarterfinals. It will be Carlos Alcaraz, the number one seed, after he took down Italy's Matteo Berrettini in four sets. Lost the first one, actually, so a bit of a shaky start, but uh, came back and took the next three, all ending 6-3 as well. Uh, Carlos Alcaraz giving his thoughts after that one. Yeah, this is something that I really wanted. Uh, you know, uh, last year I, I lost in the fourth round. I really wanted to, to play the quarterfinal here. Uh, coming this year with uh, with that goal, you know, to uh, first uh, get into the quarterfinal. And uh, once I I got it, I I'm looking for more. You know, I this is my, my dream is to play a final here, to win the, this title one day. So I I'm uh, I hope to you know. Uh, Reach that dream this year, but uh, right now is uh, is great to, to be in the quarterfinal. Another big quarterfinal there uh, coming up, and a big upset. USA's Chris Eubanks on Wimbledon debut has taken down fifth seed Stefanos Tsitsipas in the round of 16. I feel like I'm living a dream right now. This has been absolutely yeah, insane. When you paint the, all of the context, I, I've tried so much to block everything out and just focus on the next match, as cliche as it sounds, but hearing you rattle off all of that stuff, man, it's surreal. It's unbelievable. I can't believe this. <laughs> Yeah, big result for Chris Eubanks there at the States. Wimbledon debut. Crazy. Um, yeah, so he's now through to the quarterfinal. He'll take on Daniel Medvedev, who progressed after a walkover when Jerry Laheka of Czechia was forced to withdraw after two sets, uh, going down 6-4, 6-2. Yes. got an idea. Jump in. Because I think you should finish the men's side of the draw, we'll take the news, and launch into the women's side of the draw after that, because oh. I am glued. Okay. Good idea. Okay. Let's do it. Finish the men's side of the draw. Was that finished? Yeah, that's the men's side of the oh, draw. Yeah, I've come in right at the right you, time. You really have, yeah. Woman's side of the draw. Because uh, there's yeah. been happenings. There have. There's been happenings. Things to discuss. Things to uh, emit across the radio wave. So we'll do that after Johnny Max News. And Part, we two. Oh, Part two. Oh, we jump become back in. A, a mini series. I like this. Okay, woman's side of the draw. We go. Well, woman's side of the draw. We go indeed. Uh, and controversy has hit. 
Mira Andreva, as you'll remember, it's the uh, the 16 year old who, uh, yeah, has done well to even get to the round of 16. She's First got, time she'd seen a grass court when yeah, she yeah. arrived at Wimbledon. Amazing story. Came, th- came through qualifiers. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, crazy story there. But she's gone down to uh, American Madison Keys and. Uh, yeah, so, something happened in this match that's got people talking. Actually, um, got a text in on the show uh, from Craig asking if uh, the resident tennis expert Rubinio, which I I liked how he spelled Rubinio. Yeah, yeah, that, that was good too. Um, uh, whether I agree uh, with the basically, I'll explain what happened. It was a it was a penalty point that was issued. Um, Mira Andreva went to return a ball. She kind of slipped as she well she like she reached out to get the ball um, and then slipped. And her racket went over her head and then on, you know, as as she, as it went towards the ground, she dropped it. Right. Um, so, and that was considered throwing her racket. Oh, my God. So... From my understanding, there was it was five two in the in the third set to Madison Keys, and they were on juice, and that's when the penalty point was issued, which put uh, Madison Keys up to advantage, which was uh, yeah seen as a pretty crucial point in the match. Uh, Mita Andreva was not happy at all. Um, actually, refused to shake the umpire's hand when the when the match came to a close. Um, obviously, yeah, thinking that that was what lost her the match. Um, obviously, she was 5-2 up, but, yeah, I think she she was kind of on a bit of a roll and felt that that um, stopped, her, stopped her in her tracks. So whether whether I agree... Um, I'm watching it. I've just watched it. That's a ridiculous that she gets a point. Yeah. She's, she's lunged and she's hit it, and then her foot slipped yeah. out... And she counterbalanced, and her arm went up in the air, and the racket fell on the ground. Racket fell on the ground. Um, it wasn't petulance at all. Yeah, yeah. So that it's a it's a tough one. I I think I think I I don't agree. Um, uh, yeah, I don't think it should have been a penalty. Uh, I think it's it's similar to. I mean, it was just on kind of the momentum of the of the arm, similar to how you know if you go to throw a ball and then you don't let go of the ball, you kind of you know, tumble over and can hurt yourself. I've got what she said to the umpire yep. in quotation marks. I slipped. I didn't do it. I slid and I fell. No, that's the wrong decision. Do you understand what you were doing? Do you understand what you were doing? I didn't throw the racket. I slid. Yes, I did slip. I didn't throw the racket. I slid. It's the wrong decision. I didn't throw the racket. I fell. I slid. Then I fell. That's wow. what she said. Not one swear word from the 16-year-old Russian. Well, that's good. Good decision from you not to um, try to do it in a, her accent, too. Oh, I'd completely cock that up. Yeah, yeah. Um, right. Now, so, yeah, that, that was the controversy in that one. Um, but Madison Keys, at the end of the day, does progress uh, through to the quarterfinals. Um, another match in the round of 16, Ons Jabur took down uh, Petra Kvitova. That's the sixth and ninth seed, respectively. Uh, pretty... Pretty easy. I, th- I thought it was going to be a much closer match, um, but it was 6-love, six 6-3. Six so Ons Jabur uh, making that look pretty easy. And she will now uh, take on Elena Rabaikina, 
who's uh, that's the future who's, winner. who's the winner? Yeah. Apparently, uh, yeah. Who progressed after another blockbuster that I said I think it was yesterday? Uh, Beatrice Haddad Meyer from Brazil, the thirteenth seed. Um, she unfortunately withdrew. She like twinged her back or something by the looks of things. Four-one um, down on the first set, so that one didn't last too long. And uh, Ons Jabeur was asked about the prospect of that big challenge. A difficult match, you know. Uh, I'm probably going for my revenge. Uh, it was a difficult final last year. Uh, it's going to bring a, a lot of memories. Uh, I'm hoping to play like today and, um, you know, just uh, get get the win because uh, she's an amazing player and you can see she's uh, like boom, boom all the time. <laughs> she had no mercy with her. So let's see what's going to happen. Boom, boom all the time. You can't say that in some countries. Well, I think it's pretty obvious what you meant. Yeah. Like Boom Aggressive Boom Becker, playing. like like Boris Becker. He was Boris Boom Boom Becker. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Boom um, Boom in the broom. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> another another result in the round of sixteen. Arena Sabalenka uh, is through after winning her round of sixteen match six four six love. And so yeah, some pretty pretty insane quarterfinals to watch in the in the women's side of the draw. Um, also on New Zealand watch, uh, Michael Venus, our uh, our doubles man. He's he's with Jamie Murray. They are through to the round of 16 where they will t- take on uh, Hugo Ness and Jan uh, Jan Zielinski of Monaco and Poland respectively. Uh, so yeah, that that's the round of 16 that will take place overnight. He was also in action in the mixed doubles with his partner Bianca Andreescu but uh, had to pull out due to a sore elbow. So hopefully that doesn't doesn't stop him in the, in the men's side of the draw. Uh, and so their opponents if I'm I'm a bit of a flag expert. I think one of the flags is red and white. Red on top, white on the bottom. The other one's white on top, red on the bottom. Which one? What do you mean? Which one's which? It's one of each. Yeah, yeah, I for know. For the but, opponents. Okay, but but which which one, Monaco and Poland, which one's top? Oh, white on top. Monaco's white on top? Yeah. Right, lucky. Um, no, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll let you flex some flag knowledge. Yeah, that's interesting. But yeah, yeah no, inverted flags of each other, Monaco and Poland. Mm. Yeah, so, um, but yeah, no, that, that'll, be a, that'll be another game. Uh, that'll... Definitely be a good watch. Um, and speaking of games that will be good watches, uh, two quarterfinals in action uh, tonight on the men's and women's side of the draw, and then the other two will be the night after, if I'm not mistaken. But Yannick Sinner takes on Roman Safiulin uh, in one quarterfinal, and Andre Rublev, as we talked about before, taking on Novak Djokovic in the second quarterfinal. Those are the two in action uh, on the men's side of the draw. And the women's overnight, two quarterfinals. Jessica Pagula of the States, the fourth seed, takes on Czechia's Marketa Vondrusova. And uh, the second <laughs> the second, uh, second of those two quarterfinals overnight, Igas Fiontek, the first seed, is in action against Elena Svitolina, who's looked very good. She's from Ukraine. Uh, is Sviontek and Rabakina on opposite sides of the draw? Um, Are you able to tell me that ooh. with your quick resource? I will. I will. Uh, I will look at my, my because quick... I got I got Rabakina at six fifty, <clears throat> and I got so I've got Rabakina to win Wimbledon, I got Djokovic to win Wimbledon, and I've got the Cowboys to finish in the top eight as a grandstand multi. Wow, mm. how's how, how's that paying? A lot. Goodness, yeah, it's I'm, like nine uh, from memory. It was about eighteen dollar multi. Right. Um, I am trying to look at the draw, and they've got a 
We've got a new path to the final thing, which is not very helpful for me. I can hear you clicking, actually. The whole New Zealand can hear your, your mouse. Producers <laughs> are supposed to have silent mouses like mine, so you can't hear mine. I'm clicking it. Wow. Silent mouse. That is, that is silent. I'll um, tell you what, we'll flag that for now. Maybe it could be part of your Wimbledon wrap tomorrow. Wait, no, hold on. Got the draw. Okay. Uh, we have, as I said, Sviatek, uh, Svitolina, and Pagula Vondrasova. Uh, those two are playing tonight. They will play each other. Right. The so winners. Other so side of the draw. they are on the other side of the draw. Fantastic. So it's looking... Oh, actually, I was going to say it's looking like a Sabalenka-Rybakina semi-final, which would be a huge match, but don't count out Ons Jabeur and Madison Keys. Oh, look, I will they, not. Uh, I will not count out Ons Jabeur. What about Madison Keys? Yeah, I'll count her out. Oh, okay. Mm. Well, uh, I think she'll put up a fight against Sabalenka, but we'll um, we'll see. Those are... Ooh, I, I love this. I love this part of those, these tournaments where it gets into like round of sixteen and quarter final. It's like some of the best games are like you know even yeah round round of sixteen it can be, mm. um, yeah just because there are so many good. I mean we see that from so many great players being knocked out in like the first round by qualifiers, you know, and oh, great games to come. Great games basically. to come. So you keep Long your eye on short. you keep your eye on women, and I'll keep my eye on the Tour de France middle of the night. Sport hours. Okay. We great. shall be. Um, some more of your Ranfurly Shield stories. I haven't forgotten them. I will read them out. They will be after this. Righto. Um, someone texted in saying that she had been warned before in the second set for throwing her racket. That penalty she got took keys to match point, which she won. So she'd had a warning. But my argument was, and I've just watched it, she wasn't throwing it. She slipped and, you know, that sometimes you step out of the shower and your foot goes zit out in front of you and you just sort of braced she did that and the racket went out very very unfair um, I can't read that one uh, <laughs> Monaco is the same flag as Indonesia just Monaco has a darker shade of red but the f- bit of a flag nuffy myself yeah Henry love a flag uh, Kelsey's hey Staffy what have the three players returning home from New Zealand 15 to have done wrong cheers Carl you know what I've always said, they've said they've come home for personal reasons. It's Surely it's got to be more than that. And here's the thing, and I, it's the catch cry. Silence leads to speculation, and people will speculate. People will speculate as to they've been bad boys. Tell us what the personal reasons were, or say there was nothing untoward. Take it away from us. Silence leads to speculation. And you watch the speculation over the next 24 hours go. You watch it go. Mark my words. Um, back to the, your Ranfurly Shield stories, which I absolutely love that first hour and a bit. If you missed it and you've just joined us, get the podcast of the Afternoons with Staffy show wherever you get your podcasts. Um, SENZ app is probably the best one. We had an hour of Ranfurly Shield memories on the back of talking to the head coach of Horafanua Kapiti, who opened Ranfurly Shield season tomorrow at 2 o'clock. Grant says, how things have changed. Now most of the current All Blacks wouldn't have played for the Shield as they don't play much NPC. Cheers, Grant. Correct. Staffy, this is a big one. Reese from Dunedin. Now when it's a big one like this, I have to... Click another box so I can read it all. Here we go. Staffy, some fond memories of the Stags winning the Shield in the 2000s. 
Won it off Canterbury twice in three years. Particularly remember they defended it against Auckland. It snowed two days before the game and all the players were on the field clearing it off so they could do the captain's run. Then they beat Auckland 9-6 in a doozy of a match. The following year, a group of us went and watched them beat Otago with the great man Whopper scoring the winning try that many of us still haven't seen. Great times. I've never seen the park so full. Otago supporters got the train down from Dunedin like the old days. Players like Glenn Horton, Jason Carwell, Matt Saunders, Robbie the Kid Robinson, Scott Cowan, Tim Boyce, Jason Rutledge, Elliot Dixon in their prime stag legends. Yes, boy, Reese. I can't believe I've waited that long to re When did you send that in? Quarter past one, hour and a half. It's going gonna, it's gonna to finish my day on a high. Thank you, Reese from Dunedin. Fantastic. Staffy, this is from Anthony. 1979, Auckland, Counties. 11 to 9, Auckland. Alan Dawson gave away a late penalty to lose it. Counties were leading 9 0. 50,000 plus fans at Eden Park. Bruce Robertson, Andy Dalton, John Spears, Rod Cattells. Great teams. Cheers, Anthony. Look at you, fire me up for tomorrow. Look at you, fire me up for your provincial rugby. I feel like it, before the NPC starts, I might put together an NPC memory hour or two or show. Let's make it a show. The week before the NPC starts, let's have an NPC show. I've just decided I'm going to do it. I've decided I'm going to do it. And we'll find those colossal teams who've had their eras of domination, the Auckland teams, even way back Manawatu teams. I can get Brucey Yamara to come and talk. And I'll get a player from each of those little eras. I've got goosebumps thinking about this. I don't even have to ask you if this is a good idea because I bloody know it is. A whole show dedicated to the NPC. And I will beseech you to take your children and grandchildren to your local MPC game this year. I don't want people to say, but no one's going to the MPC. Take that sentence away from the naysayers. Get those people to the grounds. Get your kids involved in your local heroes. The MPC's coming for you, and so am I, with a whole show dedicated to the MPC before it starts. I cannot wait. I cannot wait. More energy at the end of the show than at the start. That's rare. That is very rare. We'll wrap it up after this. Here's what happened back in the day. I just sort of let you know before I do back in the day. Uh, if Horafanua Kapiti take it off the Lions tomorrow, the Shield, their first game of Heartland is away, so that won't be a Shield challenge. Incidentally, South Canterbury, who have the mandatory challenge against Wellington, uh, then their first defence would be against West Coast. If they get through that, their next defence would be against Wairapa Bush, then Buller, and they're out of the season out with Poverty Bay. Challenge coming to your Heartland City near you. Back in the day, July 11, 1930, Don Bradman hit the quickest double century in Test history when he hit 309 of Aussies' 458. Incredible. Remains the only man to make 300 in a day. Uh, 2010, Spain wins the first World Cup. They try to open up the Dutch via another route. Iniesta's in the middle all alone. If Fernando Torres can find him, it's stabbed away uncomfortably to Fabregas. Surely now! Surely now! 
Spain have won the World Cup for the first time in history. No. Andres Iniesta has broken Dutch hearts with the goal of 116 minutes that promises to say Viva Espana for the first time ever. Yes, their first World Cup, where everyone will remember 1-0. Probably what has been forgotten is the referee blew 46 penalties, 12 yellow cards and one red. Scenes. Uh, 2011, in an unprecedented all-South Korean playoff, 21-year-old So Yeon Ru won the US Open Women's uh, golf, which was just played last weekend, actually. She birded the 18th, tying He Kyung So, uh, then put her on a shot making clinic over a three hole playoff, winning by three shots. We got some birthdays today. Leon Spinks. But it seems that the world thinks that Spinks has gone in there and thrown more punches, and the great man is going out with a loss. They knew. Yes, Leon Spinks defeating Muhammad Ali. Oh, birthday 1953, died in two twenty uh, two thousand and twenty one. Uh, Stephen Richards, New Zealand auto racer. Uh, birthday today, nineteen seventy two, nineteen seventy eight. Birthday for Massimiliano Rossolino, an Italian swimmer. Caroline Wozniacki. Happy birthday to her, making a return to tennis. On this day, the number one movie in eighty nine was Lethal Weapon two, and the number one song's this. Thank you, Robbie, you good thing. You good thing. Brad Lewis is guiding the run home ship next.